It's so funny that you would bring that up because there's a couple of tried and true initial steps in every cooking therapy session. And the first thing is gather your ingredients, which is a double entendre because yes, we look at all of the things we've brought, the actual items, but then I say, stop for a minute. And what have you brought to the table today? You know, what's your purpose? or motivation, what do you hope to get out of this? And sometimes it can even be skepticism because whether it's art therapy or culinary therapy or equine therapy, you know, things that are new, people tend to be like, mm, how is this? You know, I'm not quite sure. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. Hoping our audience gets cozy, ready with maybe a cup of coffee or tea as they listen to this conversation that I'm having today with Deborah Borden. She is better known as the Sue Therapist. And that you you actually you might get hungry as you listen to this episode too so just kind of have that in the back of your mind if you're if you're if you're hungry now you might want to put pause as you uh listen to this because we will be talking about food and its influence in healing and how she uses that in her therapy because she is a licensed clinical social worker in New York and New Jersey and a pioneer in the field of cooking therapy so we will be lucky to be listening to this interview. She is a published author of actually a book called Lucky Me, A Little Bit Married, and then the most recent one, Cook Your Marriage Happy. So welcome, Deborah. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Happy that you are and happy to be learning more about you and about your work and how you came about, and then I say sous, sous therapist, is that how, do you, is that how it's pronounced for like a sous chef? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Perfect. That's the, it was originally the food therapist, but there were some issues with copyright and, uh, I couldn't get the website. So we pivoted, which is actually a big metaphor, um, that I use a lot in recipes and, uh, life. Oh, I pivot in my recipes quite a bit. I, I, as I was reading your description, about your your book and the way that you combined therapy and cooking and the descriptions that you use. The pivoting is mine. I'm like, oh, I don't have butter. Okay, let me see. What can I do instead of using butter? Right. And I pivot and I find something else or I don't sure. have an egg. Oh, I can find something that does Simulate. the same thing as an egg. And I do that. So I'm yes. so excited to have that conversation with you. But let's start talking about your life. So share with us about your upbringing, where you grew up, and a little bit about your family dynamics. Sure. Well, I actually grew up in New York uh, and then raised the family in New Jersey. And shortly after empty nesting, 
um, and getting the kids off the payroll. It's true. It happens. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually got a divorce and met my future husband in the same field. He was a psychologist and owned some therapeutic businesses. We're together about 10 years and both were of similar mind that we wanted to uh, be in warmer weather in uh, the winter and we're both golfers. So we love that. So now I'm sort of a snowbird, part here, part there. And uh, it's only been about a year, a year and a half. So, you know, I can tell you, I can tell you, I love being here, especially on a day like today. I see the weather in New York is snow and it's only 82 and sunny here today. (laughs) Only. So now take us into how you became a licensed social clinical social worker. So very interesting when um, I actually went back to school for my master's when my kids were a little older. I think they were in fifth and eighth grade, respectively. And um, that was really just driven by the idea that I had I had published two novels, Blessed and Grateful, for that to happen, that that had always been my hat and my talent. Um, I had worked as a writer in, you know, a lot of different ways. Um, but then when I sat down to write that novel and got published, it was truly amazing. And in fact, the day I Which learned- Which one of the two? Lucky Me or The Lucky Little Bit me Married? Lucky Me was the first. Okay. And A Little Bit Married, you could tell I was on the road to a divorce. <laughs> so uh, not really, I don't think at that time, but who knows? Um, and that's a really interesting thing. Until you tease things out- which you'll see my therapy hat come out, sometimes not just in conversation, but by doing. In my case, it was writing. Um, It's a little more tangible. It hits different parts of the brain. And you'd be surprised how you can be uh, more self-insightful and self-discovering when you're doing an activity. And I'll segue when we talk about the cooking therapy, but I did publish the books and publishing then took kind of a turn with Amazon and um, things changed. Uh, There were many, many publishers. The big ones contracted to a small number, very hard to sell books the way it had been. And in fact, my editor at Random House lost her imprint. Um, And so I had to pivot which we were talking about. And again, my relationship was changing. And so um, I went back to school for social work, got a full-time job, got my own health insurance, and was a very traditional talk therapist for a while, working with families, Um, actually school social worker, which fit into my kids' schedule, and and then uh, expanded to families. Now, in that journey then of writing the first two books, and you sharing a little of what you said, a little bit married and your and your uh, divorce. Did you experience grief in those areas of your life, in that aspect, in the moving, in your children moving out of the home? Did you experience grief from those different transitions? I would say tremendously, and that definitely informs my practice today. And when I talk about grief and loss. Almost none of my experience as a clinician is with actual loss of life, but so much more um, with the associated loss of, of certain changes. For me, 
I was a writer. I thought I was a writer forever. I was waiting for book three, four, seven. Um, in fact, three and four are in a drawer. And um, even though I know they're good and I've got all that validation now, it's can't get them published. So that was huge. I that that loss of identity, which I think a lot of people can relate to, um, was so painful um, on a personal level. And as I said, um, you know, but, you know, I'll tell you something funny. People have different constitutions. And I think I was blessed in some way with a kind of, okay, well, what are you going to do about it? You know, what are your choices here? And so I've always been, I remember, my kids will tell you that an expression they grew up with, which was, buck up, buddy. <laughs> and um, it's not clinical, and it doesn't it's always like carry work. Carry on. It's like the carry on, carry it's on. It's like chop, chop. <laughs> yeah, okay. <it's> like <laughs> yes, yes. Grief. Yes. Mourn it. Feel it. Don't not feel it. That's the worst thing, because whatever you push down will come up somewhere else and definitely not in as healthy a place as sharing it. Um, but um, now you have a choice at a, at a certain point. And I'm very careful when I talk about that, because as I said, that's me, that's my constitution. And for me, it might be a month or six months for someone else. It might be years. So I never want to put my stamp on someone else's grief process. But at the end of the day, is it helping you? Are you progressing in any way? Even if you're treading water, which is okay, or when when is the grief or the dwelling on the grief starting to make it worse? It's not helping you excavate. It's not helping you come to terms, but it's really handicapping your life, your relationships. That That's a question to ask and for a client to answer. But long-winded answer, but then, yes, um, my relationship was ending. And even though I spearheaded it, it was it was the same. I, I never, we, my husband now, we call it the D word. Nobody in our family was divorced. We felt incredibly like losers, even though we were both the ones to leave the relationship and knew that was a good move. It wasn't, you know, dancing unicorns and rainbows. Um, there was definitely a grief and loss process. And I would say even still today, I, I loved the intactness of an intact family. And even though I made the right decision, I'll always miss being the Bordens, you know, the way we were. So. Mm. Yeah. Cause then that, that component, like you mentioned of the loss of identity, even within that, right. Of that structure of that family of the Christmas is all together or the, not Christmas is, sorry, you're, you're no, the, the Hanukkahs or any holidays. Okay. Christmaka, we call it Christmaka. Christmaka. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, the holidays all together and, and, and things like that, the trips, right. Vacation, those mm -hmm. kind of things that you could still miss that your kids are maybe now doing separately than you and vice versa. And so logistics, yeah, a lot yeah, of juggling. It, a lot of juggling and, and yeah, that it's a lot of grief in any of those big life transitions. Now, as you were doing then your work, how did the idea of starting to incorporate the cooking component with your 
therapy come about? Was it one mm-hmm. specific patient that you had, client that you had, that then you used it and you saw, oh, or did you use it first on yourself? And then you're like, okay, this analogy works and this works. Share now that journey. Sure. Um, absolutely. So yes, I have always found some solace in the kitchen, but I want to be very clear what the the Zen or the warmth that I feel when I'm cooking is actually very different than clinical cooking therapy or culinary therapy. The, the foundation is the same memory, um, nurturing, feeding your body, good things. That That's a very big foundational piece. So I guess the best way is to tell you how it evolved. I was working for the state of New Jersey, who had a wonderful program where they would send me into families' homes that unless someone came to the home, they couldn't access therapy. So it, it could, could have been a physical ailment. Most often it was an economic issue. And I began with adolescents who were alone in the home because both parents had to work and things were going on. Uh, at school or in the home. So oftentimes I found myself with a 16-year-old teenager who had been in school all day and now was so lucky to have two hours of therapy when he got home from school. And um, it was very challenging. I became a certified play therapist Uh, played a lot of therapy games, created a bunch of games, feelings Jenga I could do by heart. But what I noticed was the kids were always hungry. And I had remembered from a group I ran in high school as a school social worker that if you brought food, they would talk to you. Also, uh, the diets, due to probably more economic than lack of education, but, you know, I called it Uh, The kitchen was Doritos, Wonder White Bread, and Frosted Flakes. So that's not going to help anybody. This is not an advertising. (laughs) This this podcast is not sponsored by these. And and I don't mean to put them down in moderation, (laughs) but a sugar diet and, you know. (laughs) I hear you. Yeah, that also affects your mood, too. I tell my kids all the time. I was like, when I would ban them from red number four, whatever, five, whatever Die. the number, number five, the, all the food colorings, I'm like, no, you guys can't have food colorings from Monday through Thursdays because then it will not allow you to focus in your schoolwork. That was right. my, my you no, know, so I, I understand. It's so yeah, true. I, and it's been proven, you know, scientifically. So, but I thought, well, maybe we'll cook together because they were always better when we weren't making one-on-one eye contact. We, when we were working side by side. And a lot of what came, you know, they taught me. I realized that when we were working side by side, it was more of a level playing field. And it wasn't just like, oh, I'm the big therapist. And, you know, you can't say to a 16-year-old for two hours, and how do you feel about that? <laughs> and how do you feel about that? It's ridiculous, especially when you see out of the corner of their eye, they're just looking to want to play full metal jacket or, you know, be on their iPhone. Um, But food, yes. So we started cooking together and I will tell you, they loved it. I wasn't sure at the time, quite frankly, it was therapeutic, except they would talk a little bit more to me. They would be, get a little more engaged and a little less resistance. But I had a breakthrough with a 14 year old girl who's family had just fractured. The father had left mom for his assistant and they had a new baby and mom was very bitter. 
She uh, was not doing the best job of, you know, kind of protecting her daughter from feeling angry because she was angry. And in fact, the, the, the client, this 14-year-old girl, was in total denial. The school had been called in. A police insta- incident had happened. Mom didn't know what to do with her. But if you spoke with her, she'd go, no, it's great. Everything's fine. I don't really know what you mean. It's all good. So little clue, she would only answer if I called her. She adopted a new name, uh, the heroine in one of the trilogies that were out and very popular. And unless I called her that name, she wouldn't answer. But if I called her that name, she would speak to me. But still, would nothing, nothing of substance. So I decided to make with her life is sweet and sour meatballs. And I always name my recipes because it seems people remember them if you call it a, a title rather than saying we made meatballs. And uh, they were turkey meatballs, so they were a little healthier. And I, I made her get her hands in there and shape the balls. We talked a little bit about shaping things. And the metaphors for me started to sort of reveal themselves. But the real key was when she was mashing up the turkey and the egg and the panko. And she looked up at me and said, this is what I'd like to do to my new baby sister. (laughs) And I know how it sounds. I know it sounds evil. But the truth is it was so real that, you know, for me, it was the first real moment. And honestly, it was a portal. So we we could do some, you know, real work after that. And so what I did was realize this was a, this was, I knew about other experiential therapies and I realized, um, and, and frankly, food was so hot at the time. You know, the food network was booming, going back about 15 years. Everybody was kind of, it wasn't like the old days where the kitchen and food were like not that exciting. It was, it was kind of a win-win um, match of things. So creative with the names of sweet, sweet and sour, the sweet and sour meat. Life is sweet is and sweet sour meatballs. Yes. So mm-hmm. let's talk about other examples of these titles of recipes and then how they correlate to our life. Let's go into the one of pivot then. How in sure. pivoting pivoting in recipes and how that relates to our life. Well, so what I do when I'm going to do a cooking therapy session with a client is have a 15-minute phone conversation. And so in that, I can not only customize a recipe for any dietary concerns, and if we're doing it virtually, it works just as well. I just have them buy all the ingredients. But it can kind of be one of two ways. Let's say they say to me, could we do a dessert? I just, you know, I'm not really great at baking. I'd love you to help me through that. I could do that. And based on the issue, let's say it's a life transition where they do have to pivot. So I will be thinking of desserts where maybe, you know, how sometimes you have to separate uh, ingredients, uh, put them in alternately, 
like um, liquids and solids sometimes or sometimes yeah. or mm-hmm. I have a um a, a cinnamon chocolate banana bread recipe where you split the batter Please don't make, I'm telling you you're gonna make <laughs> me know, hungry <laughs> oh, <laughs> and um so you have the batter and then one thing goes in one side and one thing goes in the other and it's kind of a good metaphor for you're more than just one thing you're more than just that marriage you're more than just the one job you have now. You're more than just the parenting you've done to this point. You can change. You can pivot. So that's what I would do. Or I could start with, you know what? I could say, I have a great recipe that really addresses a a life change or a loss. Would you be open to making a banana bread, let's say? But of course, there's so many, so many recipes. And and I'm better in the moment. Um, the book I wrote, Cook Your Marriage Happy, talked about four specific reasons, the four most reasons that marriages fall apart. And then what I did was customize about four recipes for each issue. I think one was financial reasons. One was, I, I don't touch adultery. Um, I leave that for a licensed marriage and family therapist. That's a big one though. Um, and another one is growing apart. And, um, so I'm not sure. So, so, but getting back to pivoting, which really, I mean, don't we all have to do that in some way every day, let alone for the big issues that come our way. So there are a lot of recipes and you brought up some substitutions, um, whether it's applesauce or yogurt, those are always big, I think. And eggs, by the way, are a wonderful metaphor for a new sort of birth or mm. a new way of looking at your life. Every time I use an egg in a recipe, when we crack it open, I just think, you know, there's a yolk. That's something that could be a life. And take a moment to just think about what else. What else can you birth? What else can grow? So wow. And the the component of an egg too, of what happens even with that egg, if it still stays in shell and you heat it like hard boiled, like you know, the different textures that could I'm sure so many metaphors can come up from that as well, that all this heat is happening and this egg is going through so much when you're boiling an egg. Yet it's something edible that you get to have and enjoy. It's so funny that you would bring that up because there's a couple of tried and true initial steps in every cooking therapy session. And the first thing is gather your ingredients, which is a double entendre because, yes, we look at all of the things we've brought, the actual items. But then I say, stop for a minute. And what have you brought to the table today? You know, what's your purpose or motivation? What do you hope to get out of this? And sometimes it can even be skepticism because whether it's art therapy or culinary therapy or equine therapy, you know, things that are new, people tend to be like, "Mm, how is this? You know, I'm not quite sure. The second thing is washing our hands, which is very concrete and just sets us up for like a new, fresh beginning. But the third thing tying in what you were talking about is often preheating the oven and heat 
we know is a catalyst for everything that's going in there is going to change. And we stop and take a minute and think about that. And, you know, sometimes just gathering the ingredients and discussing that, washing your hands and discussing that, being mindful, thinking about the heat, that that can take 20 minutes, just that before we even get to the recipe. I I am visualizing this, thinking of you in a kitchen with a client and going through this and the amount of emotions that can come up from each of those steps. Are there ever times in which you don't actually get to even start the recipe because a lot just happened in that moment of you turning on the oven and talking about all the heat and what that's bringing up in that individual that maybe that day that's all you end up being able to do and and that that's where all the therapy ends up occurring? It's a great question because what happens is we can run out of time. So if it's an in-person session, which really is going back now three years because with COVID, everything changed, then I try to get to the end. I try really hard because uh, the, the curriculum that I've developed is three M's. It's metaphor, mindfulness, and mastery. And the mastery comes at the end with this finished product, because not only have you had a therapy session, but you know, you might have dinner. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's a really powerful thing, especially a lot of clients are feeling, if not before therapy, then because they're in therapy, that somehow they're failing at, at something. So I say that if I could script a success into every client's day and teach them how to do it too, I mean, that is gold. So I do try to get to the end. What I will do if I have to leave is, you know, guide them through what they're going to do after. And, um, you know, we can video chat or send photos and then I can sort of reinforce everything that I want them to feel and make sure they understand what they created. And by the way, there are no failures, even if the recipe doesn't turn out. I use the metaphor of making bread. Sometimes it doesn't rise. You know, we're human. Ovens are different. Recipes are faulty. But guess what? Take a look. Take a look at what you did. It is about the journey and all the steps. But who knows? Maybe even though you don't have that gorgeous sourdough bread, you have some crackers or, or pita or breadcrumbs. So uh, there's always something to be teased out. Or if it's a total disaster, you know, what do you do when that happens? Do you have the ability to kind of brush it off, not take it so seriously into heart? Or, um, you know, can you laugh about it and go, it's pizza night? Um, or if you can't, that's, that's where we need to go next. So it is a great way of seeing how someone navigates situations that come up, right? When you're in that moment of the, oh, now what? I was totally thought that I was going to serve this for dinner. Now I right. can't. Now what do we what do you do, right? What do you do about it? And that is a great analogy then in life. You totally thought that you were going to spend the rest of your life with this person, that this was going to be your life, the picket fence, this, children, this, da, 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 all that, and it didn't happen. 
now what? What yes. do you do? What are you going to do? So all these, my gosh, analogies come up, come to mind for me as yes. you're talking about. So again, it's mind, it, so it's metaphor, mindfulness, and mastery, mastery mm-hmm. and mastery metaphor. So as you are coming up with these ideas with you, each of your clients, what are some of these other recipes? And give us then some examples. Let's talk about balsamic, like one that you shared with me was a balsamic reduction, for example. What happens there of something that is this that turns into something else or used completely differently and how you apply that lesson then in someone's journey? Yes. Well, um, the, if we're going to address the loss component, um, I think a reduction, I think the recipe is called a relationship reduction, which I originally created for um, a marriage that was ending. And um, I'll, I'll just share with you, it, it actually it wasn't what we were making. It's something that came out of a session where the client was, um, we were baking and she put in sugar instead of the flour, flour instead of the sugar. I was right there. And she frantically tried to scoop it out. And she stopped, looked up at me and said, this is just like my marriage. No matter what I do, I can't fix it. And that was a really powerful moment. But what I realized after that was working with her um, and she did not, not, I didn't encourage her to end her marriage that gave her clarity that, and strength really, she knew it, it really was time to move on. But with her, we, we talked about the loss of it. Um, and I, I thought a reduction was a great idea because here you have this sort of, um, you could have a cup of liquid, which sort of like, that's your cup is full. Your you know, everything you thought, your little picket fence and your, you know, two kids and a dog, and then it boils, it burns a little, it goes away a little. There are some fumes that can make you cry when you're burning off vinegar or alcohol. Then suddenly you're left with this residue, right? And it doesn't look anything like what you had. The time between coming to the fact that that small thing that you're left with uh, can inform another dish, and I mean that, inform another relationship, inform your next relationship, and even make it better, because we know all of the things you learned have kind of reduced and solidified and are stronger and more potent, and it's sad that some of the ingredients are gone. And maybe you wouldn't choose that, um, but it happened and it happened for a reason. And now you can use it, uh, that reduction for a pasta or a quinoa (laughs) or, um, uh, you know, a, a new, a new spouse. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. Yes. So much. So thank you. No, they're just, I, I love analogies in general. I think they just help, help or metaphors. I just think they help visualize something that is so hard to explain sometimes. And so mm-hmm. when we grab things from our day to day and then put those into words and with children, right, that, that, that's how your work started was with teens. 
So it just materialized into now you serving many other people, serving literally too, right? So in in this the families journey, loved yeah. it when they'd want to do it. They'd see me yeah. working with the kids. And they, it was, you know, because let's face it, sometimes therapy can be not boring, but depending on the therapist, it can be um, a little one note. Believe me, I'm I'm I am a therapist, I'm pro-therapy and I should say that I think experiential therapies are an enhancement for talk therapy, never a substitute. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you can jumpstart it by um, doing something tangible or concrete and then using that in a regular talk therapy session. So, Perfectly said. Now, take us into how you now practice and then do you train now people in your in your method of being a Sioux therapist? So people seem fascinated by it. The buzz is just getting crazy. So I've, I've had to go on TikTok (laughs) of all things. No, I, I, I mean, really, I do get a lot of inquiries. I've trained colleagues. I've even trained colleagues in um, France and Spain, which by the way, Europeans just seem to be even more open so, yes. So, uh, but even some American Food Network stars recently, I was able to work with Katie Lee Beagle of the Food Network and, um, uh, oh, David Burke, the chef. He's pretty well known. Just because they actually, David Burke said to me, he feels so bad that even chefs who got into this for the love of cooking have gotten so caught up in the business that they need cooking therapy to get back to the joy. Uh, and all of it. But there's been like kind of a metamorphosis for me. And again, it was COVID driven. So I'm doing much more uh, uh, working with groups who kind of like the infotainment act, uh, you know, Wait, is that, a, is that and a I, new word I've never heard? It's not new I've and never... I, I didn't coin it. I think it's out there. So if you're if you have like a hospital and you you know every quarter you have a breakfast for all your doctors it can be very boring you know like you've seen you've been to those everybody's been to those you know organizational events and sometimes it's interesting but if you have a demo or you have something tangible and there's even a shred of credibility hey she's a social worker hey she's been she does this from mount sinai in new york city or she's been on tv or she's you know covered in bon appetit you know you and so what's happened is it's it's evolved into having the cred but also it's a fun thing like and it's funny sometimes it's hysterical um, you know, especially like, you know, some people said, my, I learn at every single presentation because someone will say like, well, I, you know, you're peeling a cucumber and, and you'll say, well, think of something bitter you'd like to peel away. And someone will go, well, I need an eggplant for that, you know, or, you know, that just comes out and it's fun. Um, so I guess more I'm doing groups, organizations, more event type things and articles, writing articles about it as well. And, you know, wonderful, great new venues like this, podcasts where, you know, people listen and it's it's a little entertaining as well as uh, clinical. Now, is there a cookbook 
in any of your drawers <laughs> that you said that have not been published <laughs> or anything like that coming up? So Cook, cook Your Marriage Happy is the first in the Cook Yourself Happy series. Cook Yourself Happy okay. is my website, cookyourselfhappy.com. And I probably should have named it Cook Yourself Happy Volume 1. And then, uh, but you know, as as people do, you sort of ex- explore out there what brings people into therapy the most. And I wanted to reach the most people. And they said it was relationships. So I may have to go back and rename, but there are so many in the future. And again, talking with you on your podcast, it could be, you know, cook your empty nest happy, Mm -hmm. cook your first marriage happy, cook your uh, sex life happy, cook your your relationship with your children too. Oh, the kids, definitely kids, even though definitely the kids. By the way, kids love this because they don't want to go to therapy. Generally, some do. And remember, this is a therapy you can schedule at your time once you learn how to do it. Oh, that's what you had asked me. So not only do I, I this is the therapy you can do at home. Do try yeah. this at home. Once you know how to do it. In fact, I got an email from someone who said something like, Deborah, thanks a lot. I can't even make a sandwich without thinking about all the layers in my life. Um, so, you know, you get a little crazy with the metaphors, but you could do it with a bowl of cereal. Um, I've done cooking therapy with a baked potato, literally. And once you teach it, you can do it with your family. You can schedule it at your own time. It's free. Can you imagine that? And you don't have to travel and fit it in if you're a busy parent juggling kids, you know, with your carpools and all, you could fit it in Friday at six. Um, if that and it's works. also part of your schedule, eating and cooking is part of our daily life. Mm-hmm. So you're just basically making it be something more in that moment. So you're not really taking away anything. You're just adding into the, your life already. I think one of the it's a chapter title or an article title. I can't remember what, but it's um, why not have a side of self-esteem with that salmon? So mm-hmm. you're right. You know, you're making that. What can we, what can we, even if you're not the professional or the suit therapist, once you learn this, even if you have three questions for your kids, you know, and you say, what does it mean to have the skin on? What does it mean to take it off? Does that mean maybe you're more vulnerable? You know, anything, you know, it just, just goes. So. Wow. Now I'm going to have to schedule some <laughs> sue therapy with my teens. If I could just get them to the kitchen. I, it, it used to be, it used to be hard not to have them in the kitchen when they were little. They right. wanted to help with everything. That's when I should have been doing a lot of these examples too. I used it for a lot of math lessons then, <laughs> right? Of the measuring and all that. Now we can use them for the emotional lessons. I I have a recipe for you. Tune in and talk to me tacos. I'll send it to you. Tune in and talk. Ooh. Oh, (laughs) I'm so grateful. That'd be wonderful. Thank you so much. Is there anything I have not asked you that you want to make sure the listeners take away? I think just like that, what I'll send you is the recipe with all the questions. There's a couple of worksheets. 
And on my website right now, it's not tuned in, in and talk to me tacos. I forgot because we change it up. But if you just go to cookyourselfhappy.com forward slash gift, you get a free uh, mini session as as my gift to any of your listeners. So, Oh, what a treat. Yes. So I hope everybody stayed till the end <laughs> to listen to this part that you get a free mini session with Deborah. And Deborah, how can people, now you mentioned your website, how can people get this current book and any of your other books or work with you? Well, every, everything's on Amazon or my website, cookyourselfhappy.com. I'm also on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. I'm pretty easy to find. Um, for, with my novels, my website is deborahbordenauthor.com, but that shows up on Cook Yourself Happy if you're interested in the novels. And if you go to that, the Sue Therapy shows up on that. So yes, you know, you're never rid of me. No worries. <laughs> Everything's intertwined. You can find, we can find one thing and the other and vice versa. So thank you. I appreciate you so much. Again, this was Deborah Borden on our podcast and looking forward to my cooking, cooking uh, experiments with my teens and with my husband too. So thank you. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.